You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Best baptisms are such a, a wonderful time in the life of a local church family. And uh, our next baptismal service is on just a few weeks away on July the 13th. There are uh, a couple more fellows getting ready for baptism. Uh, pastoral staff and deacons are helping them with uh, a Bible study and also with uh, preparation of their testimony. And the stories of faith that we hear are so very vital to uh, hearing about how God brought someone else on a journey and how he can therefore uh, bring us on our journey. And, and many, many lives are touched, in fact, from being un- non-Christians or unbelievers into a first step of faith because of hearing somebody else's story and of knowing that, that Jesus Christ can do that for uh, them as well. I walked uh, to the service this morning and I did it primarily because uh, in the Bible that we're, in the scripture that we're looking at, Paul loves to talk about walking. And uh, so I, I decided I'd walk this morning as I sometimes do. And, and um, you know, it's so true that you observe more when you walk. I saw billboards I'd never seen before that I drive by. I, I noticed things, uh, and slowing down and walking is, is a very important thing to do. I pray more, I think more, and I do it all more deeply when I walk. And uh, this morning as we open up the Word of God, uh, we're going to look at yet another time when Paul challenges us to walk. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we're picking it up in verse 15, and we're reading to verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, and though the New International Version that we're reading from uh, uses the word live instead of the word walk, I want you to remember that uh, that word is walk. And so would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May his word be blessed. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, Watchman Nee had it right when he wrote a little book many decades ago called Sit, Walk, Stand. A little book you can get in a paperback form, sit, walk, stand. It's a commentary really on the book of Ephesians. For in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the whole primary verb is all about seated, sitting, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. All about what is ours because of knowing Jesus Christ. And then beginning in chapter 4, Paul begins to start to talk about walking. 
He says, walk in a manner, chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. He says in chapter 4, verse 17, not to walk as pagans do who do not know God. Chapter 5, verse 2, to walk in love as Christ has loved us. Walk in the light, he said, because we are children of light, chapter 5, verse 8. And then today, be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then the final thing that Paul's going to do in chapter 6 is he's going to call us to stand. Stand firm then against the devil's schemes and so on. So sit, walk, stand. It's a great way of remembering the book of Ephesians. Last week in our study of chapter 5, 1 to 14, we were told that we were to be imitators of God. And the focus especially in chapter 5, verse 3 and following is on sexual purity. We talked about the fact that that, that, that the idea of sexual immorality should not be even named among those who have the name of Jesus Christ or God. And he continues on now in this call to this walking it out in a manner worthy. And today, as we look in the Scripture and we just read, uh, we're looking at another matter that is a temptation in today's world as it was in the days that Paul wrote this letter, and that is the excessive use of alcohol. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. We're not sure exactly why Paul identifies this sin in this context. Some have suggested that the pagan practices in the pagan temples of Ephesus, in that Greek city, that, that uh, they involved excessive use of alcohol. Others have suggested that there's a making of a comparison between two spirits that have a sense of influencing and controlling you a spirit of, of the alcohol or the spirit of God. And others have suggested that this vice was particularly knowledgeable by the new believers in Ephesus that had come out of that practice, and it was continuing to be a primary vice in the church at Ephesus. And so Paul had to say, no, there's something else that you need to understand can replace that alcohol, and it's the spirit of God. And so whatever the case may be, as we, we don't understand fully, what this scripture really is doing is Paul is on a journey from chapter 4 verse 1 all the way into chapter 5 and verse 22. Next week we're going to look at. He's preparing the ground for us to talk about or him to talk to us about holy and healthy relationships. And so next week he's going to start talking about wives and husbands. And then, and then in chapter 6 verse 1 he starts to talk about children and parents. In verse 5, he talks about masters and slaves or employers and employee relationships. You see, all of this is the groundwork to prepare us to know how to live the Spirit-filled life in the way that we work it out in relationships. And that's, that's what really we're looking at today as well. You'll notice in the insert that's in your bulletin, that blue piece of paper, there's three points I'd like to make this morning. And the first one comes out of verses 15 and 16, where the actual first word in in the text, in that sentence, is watch or look, see carefully, it says. Good translation would be just see carefully, watch carefully. And that follows right after verse 14 that we ended with last week when it came to that little poem. Some thought it was a rhyme or a hymn that they sang when he says in verse 14, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then right away he says, Watch, therefore. Watch, because that's the need of the day. Watch out. And so 
today as we, as we think about it, Paul is talking about walking carefully. I remember just uh, this past week as I was thinking, what could I illustrate this with? I, I remember when our family, we lived in South America, we took a trip to Peru to visit the Inca ruins in, in Machu Picchu, and, and we were in that ancient site, and we decided we would take a, a walk down the, the ending, actually, of the Inca Trail. And as we were walking on this Inca Trail, and our kids were smaller back then, a little bit, but we, the, the kids were running ahead, and the, the path became more narrow, and there was these huge steep cliffs that fell into the Andes somewhere, and, 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 and there was no guardrails. And, and so we're saying, walk carefully! And, and then it came to this ending point where it just it stopped. The trail stopped, and that was some kind of an Inca or sort of a, a, a bridge on the Inca Trail that the Incas originally had kept a gap there that they had put a log across so that anybody pursuing them, the Spaniards or somebody else, would not be able to cross. Walk carefully, Paul is saying here in this passage. Walk carefully. And uh, the passage here is actually a very interesting one in verses 15 and 16, a more literal rendering of this would be, watch out how you walk, not as fools, but as wise. And then what the NIV says is making the most of every opportunity actually is, is, is literally redeeming the time. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You see, the primary difference between someone who is foolish and someone who is wise is their use of time. Some waste it. Some worry it away, some work it away, some squander or fritter it away. But Paul says you can actually redeem it away. You can make more time in some capacity. You're redeeming it. The, the word is, is that idea of buying something that belonged to someone else. Buying something back that you had lost. Redeem the time, he says. And as we've been reminded of this past week in several ways... We're all just given so much time. We're given a, a certain amount and we don't even know how much time that's going to be for us. And the interesting thing about what Paul writes here is that in talking about redeeming the time, he doesn't word, use the word that we use for the time on the clock, chronos, chronological time. He uses the word kairos, which is this important special time. He's saying that you can redeem the kairos times of your life. That it's not really about how much time you and I have on this earth, but rather the quality of that time that we make out of our lives. Kairos is a word describing a particular special opportune living in wisdom time. You don't need a lot of chronos if you understand kairos. And we don't know if we have a lot of chronos, but we do know that we can buy up the time and redeem it with kairos. When we were in prison ministry in the East Coast, the, the inmates would talk about how they were doing time. Some did bad time and some did good time. We, we all are asked in this scripture, how are you doing time? Don't be foolish about time. Be wise about time. And the reason that we all need to know how to redeem the time, Paul says, is because the days are evil. Have you not noticed? 
he's saying. Have you not noticed that the days are evil around us? Oh, how the days are evil. Talk to someone who faces depression or addiction. Talk to someone who has lost a loved one or who wrestles with chronic illness or pain. Talk to someone who knows someone close to them with mental illness. Oh, how evil the days can be. So we need to be careful how we walk because the days are evil. We need to redeem the time. Don't just live your life. Spend your life. Invest your life. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Don't just spend the day. Redeem the time. Not only do you have a fixed amount, but the evil that lurks in your world and mine is seeking to rob you of making the most of the precious little time that you do have. So redeem it. And redeeming the time does not mean necessarily working harder. <laughs> I read this past week uh, in a little book uh, by Carl Olson by, called Passion. He describes the incredible patience of, a, of a, what happened in a, in a story in the early French Protestant movement called the Huguenots, uh, groups that followed the, the, the writings of John Calvin and others and and in the late 17th century in southern France, a girl by the name of Marie Durant was uh, arrested because her brother was a pastor and preached the gospel. And, and she was asked, because of her following of him and having services in their home, she was asked to renounce, to renounce. All she had to do was say one French word, renounce. All she had to do was say that one. She was not being asked to do something immoral. She was not being asked to change even her lifestyle or, or the, the services that she had. She was asked to, to formally and solemnly say the word, I renounce. And she couldn't do it. And so her and 30 other women were assigned to this tower uh, in, on, on, the, on the, the coast where they ended up spending 38 years instead of renouncing. And, and, and on the wall, you can go as a tourist today into that very tower, and on the wall, instead of the word renounce, there's the word resist, written in, in, etched in stone. And here's what, here's what Olson says about this event. He said, the word, we do not understand the terrifying simplicity of a religious commitment which asks nothing of time and gets nothing from time. We can understand a religion which enhances time, but we cannot understand a faith which is not nourished by the temporal hope that tomorrow things will be better. To, to sit in a prison room with 30 others and to see the day change into night, the summer to autumn, to feel the slow systemic changes within your flesh, the drying and wrinkling of your skin, the loss of muscle tone, the suffering of the joints, the slow stupefaction of the senses, to feel all this and to still persevere seems idiotic to a generation which has no capacity to wait and to endure and understand time. You see, whatever time you're given, Paul is saying, redeem the time. Use it the way that God would have you use it. And the, the article goes on, chapter goes on to talk about how this 15-year-old girl that was assigned to this 38 years of prison was actually the, the spiritual leader, led, leading prayer meetings in that tower with those women. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. You get the sense from Paul's language here that um, 
He's asking us to live it out wisely. But he's asking us to actually make more of our lives. Paul, Paul proceeds and not only says that we should be wise in our use of time, but he says, walking in the Lord's will with understanding. Verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The word for understand here, again, is, is a very interesting, it's a compound word. It's two words put together. And literally, the word means, the, mean, the word means to put together. <laughs> That's what the word understand means. It means to mentally put something together. So Paul is saying here, do not be foolish, but understand. Put together what the Lord's will is. It's the idea of comprehending something thoroughly, thinking deeply, putting it together, understanding it well. This is how we approach our lives, but not alone as if we were islands, but rather in the context of pursuing what God's will is, His fixed purposes, His desires, His goals, what pleases Him, what He knows best about, His ways that are higher than our ways. Let me say by way of consolation, friends, this morning, that if you wrestle if you wrestle to understand, to put together what is the ways of God in your life right now or in the life of a loved one, if you're wrestling to just put it all together in your brain and you're perplexed at what God is up to, if you're discouraged because you can't put it together, aside from what His Word clearly teaches us, His ways are not often within our grasp. Understanding His ways are not formulaic. We cannot punch in an equation and figure out his will. And sometimes we have to understand he's not obliged to disclose his will to us as if he were somehow our servant. And sometimes like Job, we're not given clear answers that satisfy our minds. But you see, the, the sense that we get from Paul's language in this chapter in verse 17 is that he's not talking about the grand mysteries of God, the big will of God stuff. He's talking about the very smaller things, the day-to-day, -day, the moment-by-moment. -moment. That's why he's using the terminology of walking. You see, because that's how we go through the day as we walk. The essence of what Paul is teaching here is that if we are God's children and we are walking hand-in-hand -hand with the Father, then everything that we need to know about His will, we will know. We will know because we are walking with the Father. He is leading us into His will. He's a three-mile-an-hour God. He's a walking-pace God. He's not a running God. He's not a sprinting God. He's not a dormant God. He's a walking God. When I slowed down for, for a half an hour this morning and walked three miles an hour to get here, I saw so much more that I couldn't see when I was driving. And what is true in the physical realm is true in the spiritual realm for you and I. Slow down. Walk with the Father. And you'll walk carefully if you do. Well, thirdly, Paul says walk in the Spirit. In verses 18 to 21, one sentence in the Greek text is Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. I read about a man in Montana this past February who in a drunken stupor as he was walking fell through a window 
and he fell through the window, cut himself, and because he did not get attention, he bled to death. Walk carefully. I wonder if Paul is making a play on words when he raises the idea of excessive use of alcohol. For indeed, we cannot hope to walk carefully if we are going to allow some other influence into our lives that, that, that impedes the ability to walk carefully. Some of you know better than I do that alcohol is a depressant. It slows the central nervous system down. It actually blocks messages that are coming from the extremities of your body back to your brain so that you can govern and live your life and control it. It is actually the kind of thing that affects your perceptions, your emotions, your movement, your vision, your hearing, your balance. A person that has consumed too much alcohol is, is unable to walk because of balance issues, unable to speak because of control issues, and unable to have a, a proper uh, attitude toward others, becomes belligerent and irritable. It's interesting that on those very three areas affected by drunkenness are also affected by the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's the very stuff that Paul talks about, about as a result of being filled with the Spirit. This is what filling of the Holy Spirit looks like. You will walk carefully. Your speech will be edifying to one another. You will be filled with gratitude. You will relate to one another with respect and mutual submission. All of these evidences of the Spirit are altered by the influence of alcohol or other forces into our lives. You know, it's interesting, we use the term of being filled with the Spirit, and when we do so, we often think of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. And on that occasion, in Acts chapter 2, we know that, that God the Spirit chose to manifest Himself in a way that spoke in tongues, that, that individuals spoke in different languages so they could understand each other, and, and they were saying things they didn't understand initially, speaking in tongues. And that's how the Holy Spirit chose to manifest on that day. But we don't see the New Testament writers develop this theology that suggests that that was to be the norm in the church for, or forever or in every believer's life. Rather, actually, when we read about the filling of the Holy Spirit, both in the book of Acts and in other epistles in the New Testament, we read not, not about the tongues and the, the ecstatic languages and so on. But rather we read things like, for example, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke the Word of God with boldness. Or we read about another situation where there, someone was filled with the Holy Spirit and they rebuked the evil one in the moment of an attack. Or another example where someone was filled with the Holy Spirit and they humbled themselves before God to receive Jesus and to believe on Him. You see, the filling of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the norm, is not the language that you speak in terms of some kind of tongues. It's rather this incredible uh, virtue of Christ upon your life. And that's what Paul is talking here about so clearly. If you'll take note of the back page of your blue insert, you'll notice there's a chart there and I have put the passage, the parallel passage of, of Ephesians chapter 5 with Colossians chapter 3. And you know, it's interesting because according to this chart, what Paul means in Ephesians by being filled with the Spirit 
is the same as that which he means in Colossians by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The author of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so when God's word dwells in us richly, God's spirit dwells in us richly too. And when we're filled with the spirit, we're filled with the word of Christ. His presence in our lives through his word and spirit produces the things that both of these passages are talking about. Wisdom to live carefully, gratitude, thankfulness to God, praiseworthy attitude, respect and submission toward each other, and so on. You see, Paul wrote these two letters at the same place and time in his life and sent them with the same messenger. Take this one to Colossae, take this one to Ephesus. And so here, and and look at all the parallel. He's talking about the same stuff. You can see that in the chart. What does it mean, speaking to one another? Verse verse 19. One would get the sense that we ought to have operatic voices and uh, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you know. Good morning, how are you today? You know, I, I don't think so. I think he's talking about this praiseworthy attitude that you carry in your life like Aliona wakes up every day to. Praise the Lord. And you carry that into your relationships as you talk to one another. Show me a marriage, show me a family, show me a church where there is speaking to one another that originates from a praiseworthy mind, language that is edifying, building up words rather than destroying and destructive and tearing down words. And I will show you a marriage, a family, or a church that is full of the Holy Spirit. And show me a church or a family or a marriage where there is condemning and critical and tearing down and destructive words. And I will tell you and show you a church or a family or a marriage that is not full of the Holy Spirit. Show me a church, a family, or a marriage that have stopped talking to one another altogether. And I will also show you a church, family, or marriage that is not full of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is not rocket science. Paul goes on in verse 20, talking about giving thanks, being, having gratitude to God. Show me a marriage, a family, a church where there is a spirit of thankfulness to God for each other, for His providence in our lives, for the gift of all gifts in Jesus. And I will show you a marriage, family, or church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of Christ dwelling in them richly. But if you show me a marriage, a family, or a church, conversely, where there is not gratitude but grumbling, where there's a sense of entitlement, where there's a sense of you serving me and not me serving you, and where there's a sense of not having enough, I'll show you a a church, a family, or a marriage that is not full of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on in verse 21 to to give one more evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Show me a marriage, a family, a church where the attitude that they bring to one another is one of submission, one of servitude, one of love that serves. As Paul says in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that in humility you consider others better than yourselves. Show me that kind of place and I'll show you a place where people are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
But show me a marriage and a family and a church where there is this competitive spirit, where nobody wants to take the initiative to serve, where nobody gets up and takes the role of of the servant or of the one that will submit or give up their way for the sake of the other way and take their agenda instead of your agenda. And I will show you a marriage or a family or a church or a friendship or a business that is not full of the Holy Spirit. It's important that we observe here that Paul is setting a a platform here. He is talking about this. He's talking about this right now because the very next verse he's going to start to talk about a marriage relationship. And then after he's done with that and told wives and husbands how they should relate to each other, he's going to talk to fathers and mothers, and he's going to talk to children, and he's going to talk about how they should relate to each other. And then he's going to go to the workplace, and he's going to say how employers and employees should relate to each other. And it all has to do with being filled with the Spirit and having all these things that you and yourself will not produce in the flesh. But if Jesus Christ is Lord in your life, If daily you say, God, my time is not my own, I'm a servant of yours, and I've been bought with a price, and now I want to serve you, then it'll make the world of difference. Before we conclude, I want to just encourage you in the application of these scriptures. Last week and this week, we've been talking about some fairly direct stuff, talking about sexual purity, talking about drunkenness, talking about... How is it that we get along in in our relationships with each other? The summer is upon us. Vacation and restful time might be coming your way. Sometimes we get the attitude that we can relax in ways that are wrong. Sometimes we get the attitude that we can cast off restraint that we normally hang on to. Sometimes we get the attitude that we can grant ourselves permissions to indulge in ways that we should not because of some twisted sense of rest or twisted sense of need or twisted sense of entitlement. Friends, friends, the devil's never going to rest. The world is never going to rest. And the fleshly, sinful appetites and impulses of your heart are never going to rest. So from those things, you cannot take vacation. And so, let's just think for a moment. There are sexually charged matters that you need to think carefully about. That you might be able to walk carefully in. And so what are some of the sexually charged matters in the way that you need to have wisdom and you need to put it together, understand the will of the Lord? How should you behave sexually to people of the opposite sex? How should your talking or your joking reflect sexual purity? How do you, both men and women, dress in the summer? How is it that you enjoy certain types of entertainment that you enjoy? How is it that you choose the movies, the television that you, you watch, the, the, the music you listen to? How is it that you decide on spending time and money, the things you do, or who you hang out with, or where you hang out, or the activities that you engage in? Put it all together, friends. Understand the will of the Lord. Don't waste your time redeem it. And then there are also a lot of decisions to make surrounding alcohol and other substances. 
And some of you, perhaps the easiest decision to make on that front is to simply abstain. That's a real easy decision. That was the decision that I made at the beginning of my Christian walk. And then I changed that decision. Sometimes I still make that decision for the sake of other factors and peoples in my life. But if you're not a Christian that has made that decision that you do have alcohol sometimes in your life, be wise about how you use alcohol. I have talked to several Christians in the last couple of years. I've, I've made it a point to ask the question, how do you know when you have had too much alcohol? You see, everybody that does take a drink once in a while has to interpret that question from their own experience out, not from the other's experience in. I don't know what you have in terms of sensation or decision-making that says that one more sip is sin. How do you make that decision if you're going to imbibe? And I'm, I'm asking you, young people especially, where, where the, the floodgates have been opened and, and normal Christian life now seems to have a drink. I'm asking you, especially young people, be wise. Don't waste your time. Redeem your time. Think about it. Put it together. Understand what the Lord's will is so that be, beforehand... You know how you're going to walk. And you know exactly when you need to draw the line, regardless of what people are doing around you. I know it's late. Friends, I'm going to ask if we could have a song to conclude our service with. And um, I want to encourage us together. In fact, I'd like us to stand right now. And I, I would like to pray for us as we think about the Scripture this morning and this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Kevin will conclude with a, a song of response. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light for our path. And, and this morning we've heard, maybe for some it's, it's an easy word to receive, and maybe for others it's a hard word. But Lord, I pray that we would all be wise and that we would understand your will, put it together. Father, I pray that you might minister your grace to us, that we would know that the, the goal of our lives is to not be filled with other appetites and desires, but, Lord, to be filled with God. And so bless us as we conclude this service in your worship. In Jesus' name, amen.